three stories. Rob. Rob's a Christian, has been for a large proportion of his life. He's faithful in his attendance of church and in his involvement in a variety of activities of the church, prayerful in his own personal life. Yet, when it comes to showing or sharing his faith in the place of work, if he's honest, he really struggles. He knows that evangelism is something that maybe he ought to be doing, but actually he feels really it's much better to leave it up to the minister of the church. Rob is based in Norwich. Story two. Onde. Onde is a little younger than Rob. He is uh, somebody who actually has had nothing to do with church life at all, has no real thoughts about religious things. But whilst he was a student at Norwich, he met a girl who he fell in love with. And eventually romance led to marriage. And during that season where they were preparing for the marriage, it did raise a few questions in Onde's mind about love and meaning and purpose. Then the years rolled by and he found himself in a job in Norwich as well. And then just recently, in fact last week, in Onde's workplace, a man aged 36 uh, ended up dying after a struggle for many years with cancer. And for Onde, big questions are raging through his mind. Why does... Such bad things happen to such good people. What is going on in the world when life and death is like this? Story three. God is sitting in his heavenly planning room. And in front of a Mac, because all designers use Macs, (laughs) he's looking at the grand scheme of the universe... And as he's purveying the latest ideas he has for how things are going to work out, a little notice pops up in the bottom left of his screen, and it simply says, On day, open. God, with a quick flick, death of the ma- uh, quick flick of the mouth, zooms in on On Day in his grand scheme of the universe and is delighted, as he always is when he sees a human being who is open to questioning, open to exploration, open to possibility. God's heart is delighted. And he thinks to himself, on days open, whom shall I send? Well, let's come back to those stories in a little bit of time. If you've got Bibles in front of you, why don't we open up Matthew chapter 5 and let's explore what this passage has to say to us as we think about what it means to be salt and light in the world that we find ourselves in today. This is Matthew chapter 5. It's on page 969 in the Church Bibles. And these great verses that we heard read just a few moments ago come as part of that passage of flow in Matthew's Gospel around the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has just been teaching and proclaiming the good news and curing the sick, and then he gathers his disciples and teaches them. And initially, in the opening verses of chapter 5, we have the Beatitudes, those 
upside-down ways, or maybe as some describe them, the right-way-up ways of seeking to live life. Perspectives of the kingdom. And those Beatitudes remind us about an approach to inner life that actually is a way of being that elicits God's blessing on us. Meek, merciful, pure in heart, those who mourn, hunger and thirst for righteousness, peacemakers. And yet it ends up with those verses in verse 10 and 11 where Jesus tells them that blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake on my account. There's something about living in God's world in God's way that leads to people reviling us, speaking ill of us. Remember that for a moment. And then we come to verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by all. Salt, pretty innocuous stuff, isn't it? Uh, Imagine we went down to your local supermarket. What's the local one here? Tesco's? Tesco's, will that do? Okay, let's go down to Tesco's. And as we enter into Tesco's, uh, we look for salt, and actually it'd be very easy to find, and there'll probably be several different types of salt these days. There's all sorts of sophisticated salt that you can buy to enhance the flavour of your food. Because, of course, it's an easily accessible commodity today. But in the ancient world, that wasn't the case. It was a precious commodity And of course, we know that salt does a couple of things. It enhances flavour of food. And only a little bit of salt is required in order to make the food a little bit more flavoursome. We know also salt was used to preserve so that actually things didn't go off. And normally as we read this passage, those are the two things which will come to our minds. But there is a further association for us as those who engage with the scriptures. Because if we do our reading carefully, what we discover in the Old Testament is that salt is a symbol of a covenant-keeping God. Back in Leviticus, Numbers, 2 Chronicles, salt is used as a sign of the covenant between God and his people, a God who always keeps his promises. So when Jesus refers to being salt, he's not simply referring to us preserving society or to enhancing flavour. He's picking up on the illusion of the Old Testament about a covenant-keeping God, a God who keeps his promises, a God who can be trusted. And we live in an age where increasingly people are cynical and sceptical about what people say publicly. Where we distrust very easily pronouncements that are made from those who have responsibility. We live in an age where many of us personally will have experienced the harm and pain that broken promises can bring. And the good news at the heart of the Christian faith is, we have a God we can trust. He is a covenant God. A God who has made a promise to his people, and he will not break this promise. He is a God in whom we can trust. And the amazing privilege we have 
is that we are to be salt of the earth. We are to be those who represent this covenant-keeping God to others. One of the ways the New Testament speaks about this in Colossians chapter 3 and on into 4 is about being salty in our speech, salty in our conversation with others. Let your conversation, Paul writes, be always full of grace and seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. I I love the balance there. Full of grace, seasoned with salt. If you've ever cooked anything, and as I did recently, put a little bit of salt in, or at least I thought a little bit of salt, and then the lid fell off the salt cellar and all the salt went into the food, you'll know that full of salt is not a pleasant experience. It's inedible. No, full of grace, seasoned with salt. You are the salt of the earth. One of the ways we're called to be salty in the New Testament is to be salty in our speech. So that others too may come to know the good news about a God who keeps his promises. A covenant-keeping God. In our daily lives, this week, There will be opportunities to be salty in our speech. Opportunities to bless rather than curse. Opportunities to encourage rather than demoralize. Opportunities to build up rather than destroy. And if we pray, there'll probably be opportunities to speak about this covenant-keeping God. A God who keeps his promises. One of the things that we do in our local church is we run small groups, home groups. And one of the things that we've done a number of times over the years in those home groups is we encourage the home groups to be places where people explore how to be salty in speech. Uh, The way we do it is we talk about it as a continuum. And we say, look, you know, in the sort of everyday life situations that we have, it's possible for our conversation to be somewhere on this continuum from cringy Christian through to acting as if we were an atheist. And actually, both ends of the spectrum is not very helpful. You know, the cringy Christian, uh, they get God into every single conversation and actually end up putting people off. And the person at the other end of the spectrum who acts as though they're an atheist, they're the Christian who never says anything about their faith to anyone. It is as if they were like an atheist. It makes no difference in their speech. And what we do is each week we talk about what opportunities we may have had during that week to say something of our faith. And then we talk about how the opportunity went and then we talk about how we would try and take that opportunity if it, went, if it came up again so that we weren't a cringy Christian and so that we weren't acting as though we were an atheist. We were somewhere in the middle. Everything from, oh, you're in work and it's a coffee break and the person you're having coffee says, Oh, how was your weekend? Folks, you can answer that question at this end of the spectrum and you can answer that question at this end of the spectrum. But actually, we could all help each other to work out how to answer somewhere in the middle in a way which wasn't at either extreme. And there are so many other opportunities that come our way to be salty in our speech. Somebody mentions that their mother is dying. What does it mean to be salty in speech at that point? Somebody mentions that uh, 
their child at school is struggling? What does it mean to be salty in speech at that stage? Sisters and brothers, you and I are salt of the earth. We are those who are called to be salty in our speech. If the salt loses its saltiness, Jesus says, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by all. Let's encourage one another to be salty in our speech. Let's have those conversations over coffee and church in our small groups as we bump into one another about opportunities that we've had to be salty in speech and how we might take them well so that others may discover the good news of a God who keeps his promises. And then Jesus goes on and uses another analogy in verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. It would be crazy, wouldn't it, to buy a light and hide it. Uh, I've got three children and my eldest recently went off to university and almost within minutes of him leaving the house, my youngest daughter laid claim on his room. (laughs) He did have the largest bedroom in the house and so very quickly Anna moved in. And when she moved in, she decided she wanted to remodel a little bit. I don't blame her, to be honest, having looked at the room. And uh, so we made a little trip off to Ikea, and one of the things she wanted was a different bedside light. So we brought this bedside light, we took it home, we unpackaged it, we stuck it on the table. I went down into the garage, I got a bucket, I went back up into the bedroom, I put a bucket over the light and said, Anna, isn't that wonderful? (laughs) Of course I didn't. It would be crazy to do that crazy. You don't buy a light to stick it under a bucket. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. And the light is meant to shine. And it shines through good works that show something of the God who keeps his promises. It shines through the simple acts in our Monday to Saturday lives, in our workplace, on our local street, in our community groups, in the clubs that we may belong to. It shines through those simple acts that show loving concern for others. Maybe it's in your workplace that the coffee point is always a bit of a mess and you're the one who always cleans it up. Maybe it's the recycling bins that never get emptied and you're the one who decides to empty them out. Maybe it's the receptionist that rarely is given a kind word as people breeze past on their way in and you're the one every morning who shows interest and offers a a, a pleasant conversation. Maybe it's the elderly person down the street who's become ill and they are unable to get their shopping and you're the one who voluntarily goes and does the shopping for them. Simple acts that enable people to see that there might be goodness in this world. But not, Jesus points out in verse 16, so that people may see our good deeds and praise our name. So that they may see our good deeds and praise God's name. Praise our Father in heaven. How's that going to happen? Folks, my hunch is this. If we simply do the good works of the light, but don't do the salty speech they are likely to end up thinking what a nice person you are. 
But when you combine the good works that show the faith with the salty speech that speaks of the faith, they are far more likely to understand that there is a Father in heaven to be praised and ultimately a God who keeps his promises to be known. Because at the heart of our faith is this good news of a God who loves every human being on planet Earth. You and I have never looked into the eyes of a human being whom God does not love and who he does not long to come to know him, to live life as it was always intended to be lived, in relationship with God as Father, through the Son, by the Spirit, in the community of the church, made possible because of all that Jesus did for us. You and I are to be salt and light in the world, to show and to share the faith so that others too may come to know the good news of Jesus. Folks, this is part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's not easy, which is why we need to encourage one another, help one another, motivate one another to keep going, to keep going. Because the reality is each one of us is here because at some stage in our lives, someone showed and shared the faith with us. And all God is asking is, would you do the same for someone else? So they may discover the good news about a God who keeps his promises. Story one, Rob. Story two, on day, open. Story three, God in his heavenly planning room. Who shall I send to Onde? There is an Onde in every one of our lives. Somebody we know who at this season in their life is open to God, open to questions, open to finding answers. Whom will God send? Let's bow our heads to pray. And let's take a moment of quiet and simply in our own hearts give thanks to those who showed and shared the faith with us and offer ourselves to God that we might be those who are salt and light to others. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you're a God who keeps his promises and thank you that those promises that have been made in Christ have come true. And we pray that you would help us, inspire us, motivate us, encourage us, equip us to be those who show and share the faith to others, that others too may come to know you. Pour your spirit into our lives. Do this work, we pray, and we ask it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.